This is an ABC podcast. I'm Jonathan Green. You're listening to Lost and Found. This week in South Auckland. Well, there's an Auckland. You knew that. But South Auckland is far more than that. Brother Bellas in the back, sweet singers in the front. My first guide to this part of the city is Damon Salisa, a Pro Vice-Chancellor Pacific at the University of Auckland. Uh, Damon, where are we exactly? Well, South Auckland is one of those places that's almost mythic in New Zealand, so it's, it's used by... Um, particularly in political or economic ways as a kind of cipher for a brown, a Polynesian Auckland. And both in a way that people like me said as a kind of celebration of that achievement of diversity in, in Auckland, but by those who wish to critique it as a kind of um, a symbol of all that can go wrong with urban build-up and, and migration to to the city. So it's a, um, it, you know, it's kind of the, the famous part of Auckland. It has a reputation on its own. And it often, when people say South Auckland, they often mean a kind of working class or below suburb, a, um, a place which is predominantly Māori and Pacific people. And, you know, often they're sort of just noticing that it's very different to the rest of Auckland and the rest of New Zealand. So it's it's almost more that than it is a geographic <laughs> specification. Well, I was going to say, does, it, does this idea uh, have a, a geographic representation? It kind of does and it doesn't. You know, most people when they say South Auckland um, don't really have a, a, a kind of line they could draw on a map on it. Um, partly too, it, it's a residue because Auckland's actually composed now of five former cities have been sort of amalgamated into one, what we call in Auckland, a super city, into a single kind of local body organisation. And there was one city, Monaco City, which takes in the great majority of South Auckland. And so some people mean that, some people mean some unspecified area that's filled with brown people like me. Um, others just sort of imagine it as a spooky place full of um, bad things and, and bad people. A city within a city is an expression which is often applied to this idea. Yeah, I think that's totally true. And that's certainly how I see it, because the kind of heart of South Auckland, which is places, um, suburbs, especially Māngere, Ōtara um, and Papatoitoi and Manurewa, they form the bulk of it. There's nowhere else in Auckland that quite looks like them. And, And as well... As I know is familiar to Australian viewers, the European New Zealanders, Pākehā as we call them, are very, very much an ageing population, whereas Pacific and Māori people are very much a youthful population. So the median age of um, Pacific people in New Zealand is 21, and of European New Zealanders is 40. So it's a vibrant, youthful, dynamic place. Definitely a different city, a city within a city, as you see. Yeah, so the, the history of Pacific people in New Zealand, just like New Guinea was an Australian territory that was in some sense part of Australia, that was true for Western Samoa, Niue, Tokelau, the Cook Islands for New Zealand. And in New Zealand's industrial boom after um, the Second World War, New Zealand had a labour shortage. And I know Australia got their workers from Europe, um, particularly Southern Europe. New Zealand got their workers 
from the Pacific and from Māori in the countryside. And when they came into Auckland, the city boomed, but it kind of heaved at the seams. And so one of the responses in the 60s and 70s was to build essentially large planned cities, uh, planned suburbs at least, um, and they were essentially of state housing. And so some of them are, were large by any kind of standards and by New Zealand standards were immense. And most of them were in Auckland. Two of the biggest ones in Māngere and Ōtara were in South Auckland. And they were essentially built to take the Pacific people and Māori people who'd moved into the central city, out of the central city and move them closer to where the industry was. And so from the 1970s, um, through the 1980s to 1990s, we see Pacific people moving out of relatively diverse places and concentrating in these large planned suburbs of state housing. The thing you described there around the 70s of, of populations congregating in that area around work, is, is that a, was that a, a process of economic or racial segregation, do you think? The public position was it was economic and about convenience, but the, the almost one-to-one relationship with race <laughs> made it very difficult. And then by the 1970s, it was becoming clear that some of these these suburbs were almost entirely Māori and Pacific suburbs and that they were then seen as places of potential social unrest or trouble Um, and so they became objects of special attention from both local and central governments but part of that was actually due to the vibrancy of the cultures of these places so in Ōtara for instance um, you see a whole lot of cultural innovation that's one of the homelands of the Kohanga Reo, that's the indigenous land language nest movement. Um, for instance, you see it a place of political radicalization. So you see uh, it's kind of New Zealand's hub for the nuclear free and independent Pacific movement. You see the birthplace of what's New Zealand's largest cultural festival and the largest Polynesian festival in the world, Polyfest. They all take place on this, they all come out of this one suburb, Otara, <laughs> including you know, this innovation in New Zealand, at least, of using a car park for a market, which then becomes the largest market in New Zealand. So at the same time as it's seen as filled with poverty and potential social problems, we see um, the people themselves delivering all kinds of social and economic and particularly cultural innovations, making it actually this wonderful place to live and visit and actually not a place of high crime um, and a place that really is characterised by families because Māori and Pacific people are famed for their their families, both their commitment to their families and the size of their families. So they become very vibrant, family-centred places and around them spring up the kinds of cultural institutions that Māori and Pacific people value, particularly churches, um, marae, which are traditional kind of um, cultural centres for Māori, um, as well as things like independent health services, <laughs> Um, gymnasiums that for local parks dedicated to indigenous sports all these things come out of that mix that's kind of the the public dueling of the positive view of it Mm. as a place of wonderful diverse and innovative institutions versus the negative one which is seeing it as a place of racial unrest and, and poverty 
the soundtrack of South Auckland is is one of the best a city or city within a city could have. Raymond Sagapulatelli is an Aotearoa-born Samoan photographer and founding member of the Manurewa Art Collective based in Manurewa, South Auckland. He's kindly agreed to give us South Auckland in three songs. First up, Ardija, Time Makes the Wine. Yes, so um, that song I think is from about 1987 and Arija were a group that most of us uh, had heard of because they were from South Auckland. Um, I think at the time they might have been um, based in Otara, but it was just, you'd not really heard that sound and it was so, uh, I guess, commercially available as, as a way so that it got played a fair amount and for me it wasn't just the song but the video as well Be, being an artist I, I was blown away by the, the video for it because they used um, what looked like a, a, a way of rotoscoping um, Betty Ann as she danced and I just remember that the song and them coming from South Auckland and being on television and you know <laughs> that was huge to be on TV to have a music video on TV so it, it always stuck with me Mason Nafika, the public health practitioner and Keiorahi Māori Responsiveness Manager at Healthy Families South Auckland. I'm Māori, but I'm not from this area, but I do talk a lot to the traditional owners of this land, and they tell me that uh, because we're in this subtropical climate here and because there's plenty of rainfall here, crops grew prolifically here. In particular, the crops of choice here were actually from the Pacific Islands, such as the kumara, the ufi-ufi, which is a type of yam, and the taro, grew here. And if you've ever been to Auckland, it's a pretty much just a giant lava field with many volcanic cones all around. The soil is volcanic in nature and therefore very rich in nutrients. And so things grew very, very well here. Also, here you're squeezed in between two very large harbours, down in the South Auckland here, there's the Manuko and sort of what you know as Auckland, say, uh, in the photographs, that's the Waitamata. And there's just a thin strip of land between the two uh, harbours. And so one could easily go from one side to the other up around where we are right now. There's an area sort of like the New Zealand version of the Panama Canal. And so <laughs> those trading routes went from one side of that harbour to the other. So abundant in fish of all kinds, uh, shellfish of all kinds. One of the delicacies here is pioke or a type of shark, which they would catch in great numbers. Only three days a year when the moon was in a specific place and when uh, a specific month, and hmm. they'd get thousands and thousands in which they would dry them uh, and preserve them for later. So that was the, a favoured kai around here. Don't know if you know too much about New Zealand, but there are no mammals apart from the bat and apart from marine mammals. And so we are an island of birds and birds were favoured. And up in this area, there's a, a place called the Hunua Ranges, which was known to have many kereru, a type of pigeon, and kaka, a type of uh, parrot, and tui. All of these three were nectar feeders or fruit feeders. And uh, our tupuna, and sometimes didn't even need to 
gut them or remove their innards because they were just already packed with fruit and they were preserved <laughs> in their own fat. Yes. Handy. And so this was the place to be. Like out of, you think about all of Aotearoa, New Zealand. And when I guess the Europeans came here, they noticed it was also a place of abundance. Mm. And long story short, 1.2 million acres were confiscated and then another group of people then received the abundance of the land and the sea and, and the rivers around here. I cried a lot. South Auckland in three songs, <laughs> counting down with Raymond Sagapulatele. Lost Tribe, Summer in the Winter. This song, Summer in the Winter, the first time I heard it, it, it blew me away. It was a song, that, it was a rap song, but it was a song that spoke about more than just rap things. It, it actually spoke around um, a lot of the struggles our parents went through. So I'm part of a generation that was born here to migrant parents from the Pacific. And within that actual song, um, members of the Lost Tribe go through various um, stories based around... Um, things that were common with our parents, the struggle to survive here, um, coming to a land where you didn't speak the language, it was your second language. Um, most of the jobs you worked in were in factories, but you were grateful for the work because you knew that you were helping back home, but at the same time dealing with this homesickness as well, but knowing that um, for them to help home at, back home, they had to be here. Hmm. And, and it was one of the earlier songs um, where – that context was given voice, and it's such a catchy tune as well. I'm um, sunny. <laughs> certainly, uh, that it, the, the video too is, is is really compelling. Can you tell us a bit about the locations where that was shot? Um, I, I'm only certain of one, which is the Otara Flea Market. And anyone that knows South Auckland knows the Otara Flea Market. It's it's like a, it's the place you go to 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 see and feel. Um, South Auckland. It's changed a bit over the years, but it's always been a community space. And so they filmed the video there, but they filmed it on a day when it was raining. So it, it's quite <laughs> the opposite feel of a Pacific sort of setting. And, and you know, I'm, uh, Johnny Sangala is there at part of the video and he's wearing a chattering around his neck. And at the time, these chatterings were like massive, you know, they were like the um, fidget spinners and everything else for that generation was, you know, everyone had these. I, I could never get into it because I could never get the damn things to work, but it was, it's, it's so cool, cool to see that video. And there's another location, I think, which is down by the waterfront. And you know, this is old Auckland because the Sky Tower is not even built yet. <laughs> so it doesn't feature in the video at all. <laughs> Mason, who you heard from before, was recently part of a food festival celebrating traditional Maori and Polynesian cuisine, Te Ahi Komeo, or Food Fire Festival. And no food festival is complete without a hungi, a kind of steam oven dug into the ground. And for that, they called in Pukakoi chef Anthony Adlam, whose family have been doing hungi for generations. Hey, my Australian brother. How long, how long have you been cooking hungi for? Well, I'm 49 now, bro. I'll say about 21. That's on my own, but brought up in it, there's about five, six generations that I can talk about, but that's a bit long there, my friend. No, no, but so, so you learned this as a, as a family tradition. Yes, it's the family, and yeah, and the only people I, I work with are just my bloodline that are in the hole. So for those not in the know, tell us, what is hangi? 
Oh, hang is a special type of food, say, to bring people together, say, for uh, special occasions. <laughs> Maybe even sad ones too, but we'll, but we'll just go to special occasions. Yeah. All about um, togetherness, family, goodwill, stuff like that, buddy. And it's cheap, it's healthy. And and it feeds a lot of people at one time bringing us all together. And it's all kinds of food. You can hang anything. You can even marinate them too, my friend. If you if you want to get a bit into gourmet, <laughs> and depending on the type of vegetables and the quality you have, what quality a kai would would be the outcome. Kumara, carrot, potato, swede, uh, red cabbage, savoy, and the list is probably on. You could put in taro, anything that you want. Um, and the meats. Well, the biggest one I've done is a quarter of a beef. There's two whole pigs in there, two whole lambs, two, 20 whole chicken, and 300 honey packs. Wow. One shot. All right, explain the process to us. Okay, well, we'll start with the digging of the hole because that's the physical bit there, John. Well, you know, oven, the whole food is covered. So it has to be as deep as whatever we're putting in. And uh, different soils, do they work differently with it? Oh, yes, different soils. No, that's a good question there, John, different soils. Over in Australia there, it, some of this just can't be done. You'll have to mix a bit of um, mulch and stuff, especially when you've got those sandy um, soil over there, and it's, and it's a little bit airy, but you could solve that problem by um, putting over a tarpaulin and make sure you've got heaps of sacks then just make sure it stays moist so we have a hole i'm guessing we need we need heat <laughs> you need heat yeah and and how i do heat retention uh, we're talking heat retention now like that's talking to hold the heat for a certain amount of time so it cooks through the process which might take three four hours at the most and what sort of wood if we start with the best it'll be tea tree that's the best um that's manuka tree the wood you follow my calling that that's the very best and, and we're talking grades here. We've got um, native is actually the best because it's got the taste taste in it as well. Right. Is it because of the you know with, with the tea tree because of the way it burns or because of the you know what that does in in terms of flavour? Oh, bro, the heat that comes out of the tea tree is the hottest that we can. There's only two other grades of tree that um, lets off hotter than a tea tree, bro. It's called the blackwood which is from Australia. There's like a lot of black wood over there, bro. Not just fire, but, but rocks too. Yeah, oh, well, I'm doing, I'll tell you what I'm using. I'm using um, steel plates, retention oh. plates from sleepers, they're called. They used to be off the old railway station. I think your dad or our dad would have been on the railway at some time, bro, and it's those ones you might <laughs> find some on the front of a tractor, and you see them how they front and loader, and they load the, what's their thing called, the... Uh, What's that fork with? Counterbalanced. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and they put those those are the weights that I'm using, buddy. And you can leave some ash in the bottom there if you know if you if you if you feel a little bit think that it's cold. Then I've got a tin fall over the top, corrugated iron, then the plates go on the top of that, and then I put my stanchion bars on top of that, and then I put my food in. Okay. And then on top of that, the sheets go on top, a nice clean white sheet to keep all the nice and clean, and then the sacks go on it. And then I put a tarpaulin over that, and then in the corners there, I start putting around the soil, and put as much soil on till I see no more smoke come up. And then the waiting begins from the time that I see no more smoke. Say I say about ten minutes after that, after the dust all settles and everything, you can see everything. And when it's like that, then three or four hours. 
But that big one I told you, that was a five or six one, John. It was, okay. it was a little bit longer. Wow. And so you then you the food is eaten, everybody's gone away. Then, then yeah, the, um, okay, we pull the food yep. out. Oh, geez, I've got about 200 people waiting in line. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> waiting in line, but it, it, it doesn't take too much long. And it's just quiet. And once you hear them on the table quiet and saying nothing, uh, I'm pretty much happy, brother, with a smile inside, but just trying to look me. <laughs> the smile inside. <laughs> Smiling inside. <laughs> oh, bro, but to make that all happen, tell you, John, you got to have the crew. We got to share the same love in there. So the love shows in the preparation and the food when it comes That's out. That's the important ingredient, the love. South Auckland in three songs. Raymond, tell us about Fallen Angels by Decepticons. So this is this is like um, I, I picked this song. There were, there were a whole lot of other songs I could have gone with, but I think this is a sentimental song for me. So this is my brother and his group, the Decepticons, um, with with um, Savage, um, Alfrisk, and, and Devolo, and my brother Miracle. And um, it was it was like quite a flash video for the time, and um, it was the first time my mum got to see my brother um, as part of a group on TV on a video that featured all over the place. And if I remember right, the beat was by another South Auckland DJ, um, P Money, who's from Papakura, and he's he's done quite well for himself as well. And um, you know, Andy and brother D are there, in there as well. Now, if I had a brick for every single thought that I have, I'd build steps and migrate to God's land. So while you succeed in this life, I'd enjoy the fruits of my labor in the next life. Of course, life has to have its tragedies. Reality elimination is a has to be. So if that's the case, I greet it. And it's just a song that uh, they get to just be themselves. And the lyrics, you know, my mum loved the song. She had no idea what my brother was saying. But... You know, she was just happy that there's there's her son, our brother, in church with the choir backing him, um, talking about the the sense of loss um, and and that struggle for identity. To the so, south side. So, so, so. Say you wanna know where I live. So you wanna know about my place. Damon Salisa. I mean, part of the challenge is that these communities do need more resource than they get. Yep. And so there's a. <laughs> There's a necessary interest in making sure that part of the public story recognises that need. We know very clearly that economic deprivation leads to poor outcomes in health and education and well-being. So too positive a story can, can work against yeah. that kind of clamouring for resources. But certainly now that there are ways for South Auckland to speak authentically as itself, um, you know, it, it gets to tell a story that's quite different. You know, there's, you know, there's these wonderful art galleries and, and um, performance spaces that are now kind of probably in many ways the, the richest and most active cultural centres in, in New Zealand. Um, you know, so much of you know, New Zealand, for instance, New Zealand's hip-hop revolution has come almost entirely out of South Auckland. And there's a new documentary called Dawn Raids, which tells the story of one of these music companies. But it's more broad than that. You know, New Zealand's biggest recording artists <laughs> um, all come from South Auckland, including um, 
there's there's a recording artist Josh six eight two, who only finished school two months ago, <laughs> who's had number one hit singles on the US Billboard charts. Wow, yeah. with Jason Derulo. <laughs> You know, and he's got a music video, and viewers can look it up, and they'll see this whole culture of of it's a Pacific culture that's sort of rest, nestled in South Auckland, you know, with this powerful global reach of of popular culture. So it's almost impossible to suppress the the power of it. Um, most of New Zealand's successful music, many of New Zealand's most successful artists, fashion designers. Um, the creative industry, I think one of its spiritual homes is, is South Auckland. You've been listening to Lost and Found, this time in South Auckland. You heard from Damon Salisa, Raymond Sagapolatelli, Mason Nafika and Anthony Adlam. Producers are Mira Adler-Gillies and Lisa DeVissi, technical production by Brendan O'Neill. I'm Jonathan Green. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.